Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we come to this day in which we renew our covenant with you and our commandments, uh, our, our commandment that you gave us uh, to love you with all our heart and soul and mind. And uh, Father, we do this through your Son, Jesus Christ, whose mercies are abundant, whose sacrifice is forever and for all people and only once. We come to you, my Father God, to learn from your word. And I ask you, make our hearts vulnerable to your word, pliable by your word. Let our hearts not be hardened against your word. Let our hearts, my Father, be thirsty and hungry to learn from your word and the revelation that you give us. I ask you, my Father, that this day be a day to bring you glory. My Father, cause us all to submit to you, to bow down in humility to you, and to surrender and give ourselves to you. We do adore you. We do belong to you. We proclaim that. We acknowledge that. And we do that, Father. In the name of your Son, Jesus, I ask you to be with us. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, in your bulletins, I think it's the last page this time, there is a sheet for you to, uh, to take notes if you like to do so. Um, I think it's important that you do. I think it's important that you have one ear focused on me and, and the other ear focused on the Lord because I think the Lord will speak to you perhaps uh, beyond anything that I may say. I know that that happens to me uh, whenever I hear other preachers. I enjoy what they're saying, but I always believe that the Lord adds to what a preacher is saying, the things that the Holy Spirit may be inspiring in me and making me think and so on. So I want you to be alert. I don't want you to forget. So if you think the Lord is saying something to you in particular, just write it down in the sheet that is in the back of your bulletins. And then you go home and you pray about it and you seek the Lord and you then obediently obey what, the, what you think the Lord is, is saying to you. So I invite you to do that. Uh, today, as all of you know, is a special day at St. David's. It's what we call um, every uh, year. We do this toward the end of October or, or, or the beginning of November, what we call Covenant Sunday. I have been practicing this uh, for uh, probably from the very beginning of my ministry. And as you all know, I've been a, a priest now for almost 36 years. And uh, I think I've been practicing this uh, forever from the beginning uh, in my first church. Uh, to have a day in which all of us are reminded who we belong to, and that you have an opportunity to come before the Lord and affirm that he is your God, that he is your Lord, 
that you are his servant and not the reverse. Sometimes we make God the reverse. We tell him what to do and we expect him to do it. It should be the other way. He tells us what to do and we say, yes, sir. Okay? So that's part of what I always want Covenant Sunday to be. Uh, any of you who are visiting us uh, today, uh, I would like to just say um, participate as much as you are comfortable. If this is your day when you also want to recommit to the Lord, we ask you to do so. Uh, you are not invited to participate in the pledging time uh, unless that's what you want to do. But I don't want you, I don't want anyone to pledge any funds for next year uh, that is not committed to this church already uh, and to the Lord primarily. Okay, but I don't want visitors to feel they have to do this. Uh, for those of you who just uh, uh, worship with us on a regular basis, uh, I want to say uh, be part of us in every way that you can. Be part of us. Be part of the movement of God in this church. And for all of you who are confirmed members of the church and have declared that this is your church, it is expected of you that you will participate in the pledging and in the commitments that need to be made to what it means to be a church here in Burbank. Uh, quickly, let me just explain to you what's going to happen today. I'm going to bring you the Word of God. I'm going to share with you what I believe God uh, has been saying to me. And, um, and right after the sermon, I'm going to have you all stand, and we are going to go through the baptismal covenant that we have all made. And uh, whether you were baptized as a child or as an adult, I think we all need to live into the commitments we made to God. And so we reaffirm those commitments. After that, we're going to have a prayer of confession, as we always do, and then we're going to come forward. We're going to place here the pledges, the pledge cards that you have received, uh, and, and we'll share more uh, about that for, for the year uh, 2019. This is how we're going to define and, and decide our ministry uh, next year. Uh, and then we're going to, at the end of the service, we're going to move all of this away, and we're going to set up chairs uh, right up front, and we're going to take the parish picture. Uh, I want you to consider that we have, if we've been doing this as long as I've been at St. David's, we have about 27, 28 of those pictures, and it is delightful to go back, even in the website, to go back and see people that have been key in being part of this church and getting us to where we are today. And some of them have gone on to be with the Lord, and some of them have gone on to do ministries in other places and have moved away from the state, but they're all part of the history and the heritage of this church. And we want all of us to do the same and be part of the picture. And we want everyone to be part of that. And then afterwards, we're going to enjoy a fantastic meal and fellowship in, uh, in the fellowship hall. So that's kind of what's going to happen today. I want to bring to you uh, a word from the Lord that I really want you uh, to consider. Um, I'm going to be speaking to you today, and I'm going to be trying to focus you on a picture, a, a picture and a model 
of the church of Jesus Christ, a picture and a model of the church of Jesus Christ in its most original form, in its most original form, the church as it began, the church as it began, not what we have made it after centuries of running the church. But I want us to look at a picture of the church as it began. Fresh. A brand new baby church. Uncompromised by the following centuries of politics, both internal politics and external politics, by kings, emperors, and powerful and influential popes and bishops and men and women in general. Because the church as it began and the church as it is today are not necessarily the same. And in some way it's great in that it moves with the times and it's influential in the times that we live today but in many ways, we have the tendency to want to make the church what fits us and not what fits God. Amen? Amen? So I think it's always good for us when we consider ourselves as a church, for us to go back to the original intent, to the original, fresh, embryonic, newly born church of Jesus Christ as the apostles and the early Christians experienced it. A church that is extremely close to the days in which Jesus died. A church in which is extremely close to the day of the resurrection of Jesus. In a church that is extremely close to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. I read this many, many years ago and I've tried to sort of be influenced by this that I read. And I want you to listen to this. It said that we preachers should preach as if Jesus died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. Think about that. The emergency, the passion, the strength, the conviction of a church that experienced the death of Jesus yesterday, not 2,000 years ago, a church that experiences Christ resurrected today, not 2,000 years ago, and a church that is so readily expectant in the coming of Jesus that it is on fire for the Lord and not gone to sleep because the time delays. You with me? That's how we should preachers preach the gospel. But I take it beyond that. 
I take it to say to you that the church, you, you should live your lives as believers as if Jesus died yesterday, rose this very morning, early in the morning, and is coming back tomorrow. What difference would it make in your life if you knew that Jesus is coming back tomorrow? We need to live with that tendency and that emergency and that passion and that surrender and conviction. Amen? As if Jesus died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back tomorrow. So I want to give you and take you back to the fresh birth of the church. And I want you to read with me, and you can follow it up in the screen, from the book of Acts, chapter 2, after the day of Pentecost. And then I want to point out some things to you. In chapter 2, verse 36, it says, this is uh, Peter speaking, but also a description of Luke of the early church. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." 
That is the church that was born out of the experience of the cross, out of the experience of the resurrection, and primarily out of the experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. This is that church that grew out of that experience. And I want to kind of go with you a little bit through some of the things that I believe are the marks, what I call the marks of a spirit-filled church, because that's what's behind this. The reason they are who they are is because of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. The reason this church is born in this way, the reason that the signs and wonders were being done were because the Holy Spirit, God, had come upon the church and people were being cut to the heart by the gospel. And they were becoming this church and asking, what shall we do? What shall we do? How do we come into this presence of the Lord? So I want to share with you briefly some of the marks that I consider of this church. The first thing I want you to consider is that one of the marks of the church is that it was a prayerful church. It was a prayerful church. In fact, I want to remind you that the gospel or or the book of Acts begins by letting us know that right after uh, Jesus ascended to heaven and the disciples thought that the kingdom was coming right there and then Jesus said, no, wait in Jerusalem until power comes from on high. And what they did is they started gathering in the upper room, probably, probably the same place where they had eaten the last supper and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were there and his brothers were there and sisters were there and the apostles and there was about 120 that had been following Jesus. I can imagine Marimaeus being there. You know about Bartimaeus, I preached on him last week. I can imagine Lazarus being there. I can imagine Mary being there, Martha being there. And so many of the early believers were in that house. And he says that they were praying together. They were in prayer, waiting for the moment and the day that Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And then as chapter 2 comes into the picture, Luke tells us that the disciples were praying in the house when tongues of fire appeared upon them. And a wind, uh, what looked like a wind, what felt like a strong rushing wind came into the house. They were in prayer. And we are told about this church that this was a church that believed in prayer. It was a church that believed that their very existence depended on God. And they had to enter into communion with God. And they had to enter into prayer with him so that he could speak to them and guide them. And the church today needs to remain and go back to being a church of prayer. Not just prayer on Sundays, but prayers every day. 
Not just praying for our families, but praying for everything we hear about in the church, outside the church, in the world. We need to be people of prayer who still depend in God being the guide, being the one that leads the church, the one we bring our pains, our sorrows, our hopes, our expectations, our intercessions, all things because of God and unto God we bring. Prayer is not about something we do in church alone. Prayer needs to be the commitment of every one of us to be constantly interceding before the Lord and asking God, first of all, to change me. To change me. To transform me into his disciple, into his apostle, into his follower. And then to hear my thanksgiving, my joys, my needs, my pains, my tears. And to hear everything for unto him we bring everything. And not for ourselves but for all people. So one of the marks of this church, it was a church that prayerfully depended upon the Lord. In the name of Jesus they prayed. In the name of him who now sat at the right hand of the Father. The intercessor between God and us. So the first mark of the church that I want to bring to you is a church that is prayerful. The second mark of the church that I believe it's essential is that it was a spirit-filled church. It was a spirit-filled church. I mean, this is the church that, that is given birth by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is a church that sought to be filled by the Spirit. It is a church that's, that, that sought out the gifts of the Spirit to serve in the power of the Spirit. It was a church filled with the presence of the Lord, gifted for ministry and does not wait to be asked if they want to serve, but rather because the Spirit is in them, they want to serve everyone they meet and in every situation they find themselves. Because in serving one another, we are serving God. In serving one another, we are serving God. And so serving in the power and in the ministries of the Holy Spirit is one of the marks of the church. That's why they were able to pray and see signs and wonders, because they dared to believe that God was with them. They dared to believe. They didn't say, what if I pray and nothing happens? That wasn't something in their minds. All they knew is that they had to pray for everything they brought it to the Lord, and the Spirit of God was upon them. And they dared to believe that if they prayed and when they prayed, that God would manifest himself in whatever way he chose to do so. It was a spirit-led church, not a democracy. Democracy is when the demos, the people, govern. That's a democracy. The church was a theocracy where theos, God, rules. So it was a church filled with the spirit. 
seeking the Spirit, opening itself to the Spirit, and using the gifts as each of them had received. The third mark of the church that I want to uh, express to you is, the, is by the word converted. Converted. It says that when Peter spoke, the first time that Peter ever preached a big sermon like that, I mean, what a, what a guy, huh? a fisherman, unlearned man by every means, and he preaches and 3,000 people get converted in one day? May I do that, please? <laughs> but it wasn't Peter. It was the Word of God and the move of the Spirit in Peter and through Peter. Because what cut them through the heart wasn't the fisherman. What cut him through the heart was the spirit in the fisherman. Was the word of God in the fisherman. What cut him through the heart was God began to speak through a human person, a human voice. And it says that they were cut to the heart, cut to the heart, they became sold out for Jesus. They became convinced of the truth of the gospel, and they began to stand firm on the rock that is Jesus Christ. It was a church converted. It was not a church still wondering whether they should be Jewish or Christian whether they should be in the world and worship the emperor and Christ. It wasn't a church that still could move either direction. It was a church that said, I believe and I am convicted in the heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for me, who rose again, and who's coming back. And here I stand. It was a convicted church. It wasn't a church that acted one way when they were together and acted a different way when they were out in the world. It was convicted. It was cut to the heart. It was changed. It was a convicted church. They were convicted by the word. They were convicted by the truth. They were convicted by the actions of these fishermen and tax collectors and some of the others. They were convicted when they saw in others the life of Christ, the commitment of Christ, the word of God. They were convicted. And they began to live a different life. And 3,000 were baptized that day and joined the ranks of the church. Another mark of the church that I think it's special that we consider is that it was a repentant church. It was a church that repented of its sins. It was a church that repented of its sins. It considered their sinful life and decided that they no longer could live in that way. That to live in sin is to go against God. It is to offend God. It is to not be true to the word of God. They became repentant. They truly repented of their sins. What happens with us humans at times 
is that we may say to ourselves, uh, I'll sin today, I'll repent on Sunday. Or, um, I can't help it, the devil made me do it. Or we're not convicted, really convicted, that when you and I sin, and I do know that we sin, but sin is not our friend. Sin is our enemy. Sin is trying to demolish and destroy your walk with God. Sin is trying to trip you and to destroy the future of heavens in your life. Sin is the way that we destroy faith in other people. We destroy faith in children. We destroy friend, uh, faith in, in others who are looking at us and they see how we speak, what we say, and how we act. Sin cannot be part of our lives. It was a repentant church that submitted to God, recognized their sin, and asked for forgiveness and the restoration and the power of the Holy Spirit. Sin is not something we play with. Sin is not something we play with. Sin is not something we play with. Even though sometimes we do tend to. We need to be truly repentant of sins. And that's one of the things I admire and love about being an Anglican, that we repent of our sins every Sunday. Every Sunday, part of our liturgy is for us to bow down and recognize that we have sinned. And we ask for forgiveness, and we receive absolution. And we go at it again. Sin, it was a church that was repentant. A church that was repentant. Another of the marks of the church that I love and gets quoted all the time is that it was doctrinally sound. It says that the church remained in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in prayer, and in the breaking of the bread or breaking of bread. It was a church doctrinally sound. It was not a church that met in buildings. It was a church that perhaps met in caves. It may be a church that maybe met outside in the fields. It may be a church that met in somebody's house. But the apostles were there, and the apostles taught the gospel as they lived it with Jesus, and the people came to receive it. They wanted to know everything that Jesus had said and done. They wanted to be in the apostles' doctrine. They took seriously the teaching of the apostles. They were hungry and thirsty to know who Jesus was and who Jesus wanted them to be. They were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. It wasn't, I'll show up if it feels like it. I'll show up if it's hot, or I'll show up if it's cold. They were hungry to receive the word, how Jesus had calmed the storm, how Jesus had healed the sick, how Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Everything the apostles remembered about Jesus, that's what they gave to the people. And the people wanted to know more about this Jesus to whom they were giving their lives and even dying as martyrs for what they had come to believe. 
They were in the apostles' doctrine. They read, they didn't read it, they didn't have it, but today we will read the Bible daily. We want to know today what is it that Jesus said. We want to receive what we hear from teachers. They were in unity with one another. There was fellowship among them. They gathered together to eat together, to have lunch together, to have meals together. They gathered together to get to know one another. They gathered together to know when they had a problem. If anyone had a problem, they shared it because they were together. There was unity and there was caring among them among the members of the church. They gathered together for meals, for agape meals. They got together. There was unity in the church. They prayed, and they took communion as often as they could. They participated of what Jesus had said, this is my body, this is my blood. As you receive it, you receive me. They met together. The church was in unity with each other and in unity with their Lord. They could not exist without it. It was the mark of the church, doctrinally sound. Doctrinally sound. In unity with one another. In communion around the Eucharist and in prayer. The next mark of the church that I, I think is important we recognize is that it was a generous church. It was generous with their treasure. It was generous with their treasure. I have often, whenever I have taught about giving, and you all know, because I have taught you, that the tithe belongs to the Lord. It's not ours. It does not belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. It is the minimal standard of giving. However, we are not under the law anymore. We should actually give out of generosity, not out of compulsion, not out of law, but out of grace. But we should give with an abundant spirit and a generous spirit and not with a what is the minimum I can give in order to be part of this church. How do I tip God? If that is what's part of your heart, then you're not a generous believer. And you have not understood the generosity of God who gave his only son, gave him to death, and he who had all the glory became poor so that we who had no glory can become rich. Only when you understand the generosity of God do you move on to generosity in the support of the ministry and in the support of others. Generosity was one of the marks of the church. It just amazes me, the idea that they sold everything and they put it at the apostles' feet and, and so that there was nobody in need because those in need received from those who had more. And somebody has said that's the first socialist picture that we have in the Bible. And if that's what it is, then that's what it is. 
but it was an idea of caring, and it was because of the Holy Spirit and because they were expecting Jesus any moment, so anything they had, they were going to have to leave behind anyways. But it wasn't just out of a recent thing. It was a generosity and a care and a love for others because they too had been cared and loved by others and especially by God. Generosity was one of the marks of that early embryonic newborn church on fire for God. Generosity. It, 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 I want to say to you that it almost should be that we don't have to teach on generosity or on tithing. Because it should be natural from us. But I think it's important that we teach because we didn't all come into the church knowing everything. And we should teach everything about the word of God, including giving. The next to the last mark of the early church was that there was gladness and simplicity in their hearts. Doesn't that sound beautiful? There was gladness in being part of the church. They were glad to be part of each other's lives. They loved looking forward to the next gathering. There was gladness, simplicity in the way they approached each other. They were simple with one another, not proud, not some bigger than others. There was simplicity, generosity with each other. There was gladness. Let us get together. Let us talk about Jesus. Let us lift our hands and glorify our God. Let us look for times every time we can. There was gladness in them and simplicity. And the last, the last mark of the early church that I find fascinating as well, it says almost at the conclusion of the passage that they have favor with all the people. Outsiders looked at the church and they marveled at what they had. The world looked at the church no wonder 3,000 people were baptizing one single day. They saw something in those apostles. They saw something in Mary. They saw something in those that were healed and had come into Jerusalem. They saw something that they said, we haven't got it. We're living in a world where we don't know who cares for us and who doesn't. We live in a world where dog eat dog. We live in a world where the Romans are oppressing us. We live in a world which I'm not sure where my next meal is coming from. We're living in a world that is broken and thirsty and hungry and, and depressed. And let me tell you, that's the world we live in today. But it says that they were having favor with all the people. Outsiders, what I would call pre-believers, not non-believers, but pre-believers, I think we should consider that every non-believer is only a pre-believer. It just depends on us. It depends on being cut to the heart. It depends on the Holy Spirit. But they're just pre-believers. I learned that last weekend at, at our synod. 
and I agree with it. They're pre-believers, not non-believers. They're pre-believers. And, and when they look at us, when they look at us, do, do we have favor? Do we have favor? I know the enemy's alive. I know the enemy wants to hurt us. All we have to do is look at the news around the world, how many believers were killed recently in Egypt as they were coming from baptism. All we have to do is read uh, the many men and women who are in prison for the faith, charged with blasphemy. And it's not just the Middle East. We look to China. We look to Mexico. We look to many places. We even look in the United States of America where believers are persecuted in many ways. We still need to live in such a way that the light shines and they see their darkness. We still need to believe in such a way where we have favor, even in persecution, that we have favor with all the people. So I'm giving you here a number of what I call marks of a spirit-filled church because the reality I want to say to you is all of these marks, we can't do them by ourselves. We can't just say, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. It's actually the move of the Holy Spirit as he fills the heart of the believer that will move us to these marks and beyond these marks. It is the presence of God. It is the presence of God in the church. A church submitted. A church declares that God is their God and there is no other. And they believe in no one else. And they will not have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. They are all in or they're all out. This is the marks of the church. The early church, unstained by the centuries of mankind trying to control and change the church and make it applicable to the world. Sometimes someone has said it's not that the world has that the church has penetrated the world, it's that the world has penetrated the church. What church do you want to be today in the 21st century? Do you want to be a church that reflects this spirit-filled, God-controlled, expectant church, passion, passionate, passionate for its Lord? Do you want to be that? And we're not talking about building and we're not even talking about our corporation. I'm talking about every believer together. Who are we? Are we this church? I want you to consider it. I want you to pray it. I want you to ask God to help us be that church. Amen? Amen. I hope you took notes of all these things because I want you to, to go back to it, look at each of these marks, pray about them, ask God for his input and his presence. That's what I want you to do as next week comes around.